Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. I was shocked, confused, but bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, nor the lights or its decor, but it was the folks of heaven that made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Then I saw my uncle who I thought was rotten in hell was sitting pretty good on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everybody so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you. Well, before we get started today, I want us to be reminded of the covenant that God had made with David, because it is a sure thing. Let's be reminded. 2 Samuel 7 and 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, this is an unconditional covenant which means that God will bind it regardless of David's performance. And God does make unconditional covenants. He makes conditional covenants. If you do this, I'll do that. But in this one is an unconditional covenant because he placed no requirements on David's life for it to come to fulfillment. And so we're going to get a full scope of David's life today in this chapter to see how he did. Let's begin now in uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to call this message today, do what God says. So in 1 Kings 2 and 1, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So I love this where David said, Prove yourself a man. Prove it. (laughs) Men, we need to prove ourselves as men. Okay? Christian, prove yourself a Christian if you say you are, because people are watching you. You have a leadership. But in Solomon's case, it was a big deal because he was about to be king of all Israel. David said, prove yourself a man. So the question is, what is a real man then? What makes a real man here? 
David lined it out for us. He said, a real man is one who leads by doing what God says. You do what God tells you to do. Let's think back over David's history here. Whenever David did things his own way, whenever he did things his own way and tried to fix things up, it always caused a ton of consequences. It always brought lots and lots of trouble. David had several of his sons had died. He had close family members betray him. Some guys in his own cabinet of his, uh, of his government betrayed him. And he was on the run a lot of the time. It's like he just never could get any rest from it all, all the trouble going on. And so David learned over the course of his lifetime, don't even try to go against God's ways because it always comes back as big trouble. Now, you can pick the sins you want to engage in, but you never get to pick, you never get to choose the consequences that come along with them. And so the best advice that he could have ever given Solomon was to prove himself a man, but how? Number one, keep God's statutes, which is to obey God's laws, his ordinances, and his decrees. Two, to keep his commands, which means you just do what God tells you to do. Do what God says. Three. Keep his judgments, which means that he should always agree with and follow and support whatever God advises him to do. Four, to keep his testimonies, which are the requirements that God expects. All of this was from the law. David told Solomon, keep all four corners of the statutes, commands, judgments, and testimonies. All four make up the different parts of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. So basically, David was saying, prove yourself a man. Don't just do 25% of it. Don't even do 75% of it and think you're really something else. You need to do all of it. Do it all. Prove yourself a man and do everything that God says. Do what God says. But it's not only the threat of getting in trouble that should motivate somebody. I hate it when people try to motivate me with threat. There needs to be a good incentive also in the discipline. And that incentive that David gave is in verse 3. He says, do these things, right, so that you may prosper in all that you do. Now, you know, everybody loves that word prosper because that indicates that I get something. You know, prosperity preachers, they have people flock to listen to them more than people will flock to listen to those who preach the truth of God's word that actually says there is a prerequisite requirement, things you have to do first before the prosperity comes. So before you can prosper, you've got to first keep God's statutes, God's commands, God's judgments, and God's testimonies. Those things come first, and then you can get to the prosperity part from the Lord God. Don't get these processes out of order. Don't get this whole all these steps out of order like most people do. Today, people, they just pray and pray and pray for prosperity. Oh, God, I claim it, and, and they invoke Jesus' name to do it, but they ask amiss because they want to spend whatever they get on their own pleasure. They won't do what God says. They will hardly even do 25% of what God says because they're too busy tending to their own kingdom than the kingdom of God. So you've got two incentives here to do what God says. Number one, if you don't, you're asking for major trouble. But two, if you do obey the Lord God, then the Lord will prosper most of what you do. No, that's not what it says. And all that you do. Well, friends, 
if you want it to prosper in all that you do, then you need to do all that God says. Adds up, doesn't it? That makes sense to me. Works out. And just because I feel like I got to hit this nail on the head one more time because somebody out there's not quite grasping this, what must you do before prosperity? What do you have to do first? You've got to do what God says. Obedience is all in the Bible. As a friend of mine says, it's a word that starts with O and ends with obedience. <laughs> it's obedience comes before prosperity. David had learned the hard way, didn't he? Those of you who've been following with me in the last number of chapters in First, Second Samuel, man, he learned the hard way. He learned that blessing from God comes after blessing follows obedience to God. Now, David outlined to Solomon how his rule should bring a guaranteed success. Do what God says. Now, how many of you would just love to have the absolute perfect formula that brings guaranteed success? Everybody's looking for that. Everybody's looking for it today in the world. They want the guaranteed success equation. Well, here it is. David just gave it to us. David did not say, keep the Lord's will so that you can prosper in most of what you do. He said, so that you can prosper in all of what you do. Do what the Lord God says, every bit of it. That is absolute success. When the day comes that you notice that everything's not prospering, ever been there? Oh, yeah, all the time. (laughs) Things aren't prospering. Then that's a red flag that means maybe you need to look back and see if you did something wrong. Maybe there's a sin you have in your life that you didn't realize that you need to get right. Ask the Lord for how do I repent of this? But let me ask you, was David 100% successful in everything he did? Was he always prosperous? Well, no, he wasn't. But that's why the Lord gave David this unconditional covenant. That's why he put all this promise into a covenant, because we're sinners, and the Lord already knows that. He has to bind it by covenant, because we can't pull it off. 1 Kings 2 and 5. Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zeriah did to me. And what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jather, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Oh my goodness. He gave Solomon instructions to put Joab to death. Now, this was not, on David's part, this was not an act of vengeance or hatred. This was nothing vindictive at all. We've got to realize that David had just found out that day on his deathbed, he had just found out that Adonijah was trying to steal the throne, and good old Joab was in there backing him up. Here goes Joab again in his usual mischief. It's kind of like, the straw that broke the camel's back. David had been dealing with Joab for many, many years, and now they're trying to steal the throne. That's it. Time's up. It's over. He's got to go. I want you to consider that David, not having Joab killed all these years, this is a flip side of the coin I want you to look at. He could have killed him, had him executed before, but he never did. But not having Joab executed was an act of overextended mercy because Joab deserved execution already for all the killings and the murders he'd done in the past. But now by ordering Solomon to kill him, 
David was administering justice because Joab did a lot of damage. If somebody killed one of your beloved family members, would you not want justice on the murderer? Well, that's what's being taken out on taken out on Joab now. Justice, not vengeance, because Joab had a lot of blood on his hands. If you remember, Joab surprise stabbed Abner in a refuge city of all places. A refuge city was a place that somebody could go. It was a designated place of safety, but he killed him in a refuge city of all places. And then who could forget about what Joab did to Amasa? He killed that man on the street. David had fired Joab, and Amasa took his place. Joab wanted his job back, so he killed him in the middle of the road. Nobody would jump in the road to follow him. So he had Amasa dragged off the side of the road with his entrails dragging behind him. Didn't even bury the guy. So none of these killings were done in wartime. This made Joab a murderer. Several chapters ago, I mentioned that Joab was going to get his, come back at him, and here it is, right? Joab's time is very short here now. David was well aware that it was customary to condemn the rivals who stood against a new incoming king. That's what they did when a new king came in to take the throne. All those who stood against his throne are condemned. Friend, that's why you need to make Jesus Lord as fast as you can, because he could be back any time. And if you're standing against his rule, you will be condemned. This is just how kings work. That's what it's what it is. We're getting a picture of the Lord here. So not only was this actual justice in executing Joab, but it also was the means of which a new king would secure his throne. You take out the offenders. This made Joab's execution a very just action to take. However, David left the means of the execution up to Solomon as he told him in this infamous line, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Joab was merciless and dealt a lot of harsh deaths in his lifetime, and so a merciless harsh death he would receive himself. 1 Kings 2.7 But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. You might remember Barzillai, wonderful story about Barzillai the Gileadite from 2 Samuel 19. He's that rich man that provided David with supplies when David stayed at Mahanaim. Uh, There goes my Hebrew again, Mahanaim. Back when David fled from Jerusalem because Absalom was going to try to take the throne, David took off and Barzillai provided for David, gave to him to help sustain him while he was while he was fleeing. But after Absalom was killed and that mess was over with, David came back to Jerusalem and Barzillai actually came out to escort David back in from across the Jordan River. So he was looking for him. Oh my goodness, guys. Christians, hear this. Here's Barzillai. He was a man who was looking for his king. He was looking for the king of Israel to return again. I'm looking for my king to return. (laughs) Christians, we're all supposed to be doing that. Barzillai, look how wonderful he is. He's looking for his king to return and was out there to welcome him back. That is so good. So David said, hey, go to Jerusalem with me, and I'll provide for you, and everything will be great. But Barzillai refused because he was so old. So he asked David instead, would you please pass that provision down to my son? So now here in 1 Kings 2, when David instructed Solomon to provide for the sons of Barzillai, 
That meant that even though David was on his deathbed, he still wanted to keep the promises that he had made to Barzillai way back. This is a king who is returned and is keeping his promises. Christian, we need to be looking for Messiah Jesus, the king who's coming back. And when he comes back, you better be ready to welcome him in because he comes back to keep his promises. Isn't that good? So look at what we have going on here. We have two opposite situations that David had to deal with. You've got people from like guys like Joab to people like Barzillai. You've got people who are bad, and then there's people who are good. So judgments have to be made on these two different kinds of people. Judgment for the bad and judgment for the good. One man was wicked. He offered no mercy to others. And so the judgment to be executed upon him was obviously going to be condemnation. But the other man, Barzillai, was very gracious and very giving. And so the judgment to be executed upon him was to give him a gracious reward. Christian, again, before I move on, I almost did. (laughs) You got to be looking for Messiah Jesus, because when he comes back, he's going to come back with reward, but he's also going to come back with judgment. Hold that thought. 1 Kings 2.8 And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Okay, so you've got this another edgy guy here for us to recall is Shimei. It was back when David was on his way out of Jerusalem. He was trying to flee from Absalom. Shimei cursed at David. He cussed at him and he threw rocks at him. And, you know, you got blood on your hands, David, and he, just, just terrible things that he did and said. Now, Shimei was a Benjamite. Shimei thought that Saul's house of the line of Benjamin, since Shimei himself was a Benjamite, he thought that the Benjamites should have the throne, not David. It was a it was, we should rule, not you. The Benjamites should rule, not Judah. But Shimei did not only curse David, but more seriously, he also had threatened David's life. Now, later on in this chapter, Solomon is going to extend grace to Shimei, but Shimei's not going to keep his word with Solomon, which will only seal his fate. We've got this edgy guys going on here. Got good guys, got bad guys. Bad boys, what you going to do when he comes for you? <laughs> Let's back up from looking at these individuals that David had to contend with. I want to show you an awesome, bigger illustration at work here. Look at how David gave Solomon the authority to execute judgment. You have a father who's giving his son the authority to execute judgment. A father giving a son authority to execute judgment. Are you tracking with me here? Do you see what I'm doing with this? The Father gave the Son all authority to execute judgment. If you can see a Jesus parallel in this Old Testament story, raise your hand and say me. I see it, okay? Those of you who listen to me, I throw these Jesus parallels in here almost every time, and this is is one of them, okay? Now, hold on to this, because I'm going to come back to it later. The Father giving a Son authority to judge. 1 Kings 2 and 10. The death of David. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, 
and his kingdom was firmly established. Okay, it says now David rested with his fathers, and this brings up a unique point. The body of all who believers who die will rest in the grave. Now, that's what a lot of people think. Well, he rested with his fathers. That means the body just lays in the grave, and that's it. No, that's not it. There's more to that. The bodies rest in the grave until they're raised up to God at the last day. Now, this doesn't mean that when we die, we go into this pause mode kind of thing where we're just waiting in the ground. Our spirit goes directly to be with the Lord, just like 2 Corinthians 5.8 says. But the body rests in the grave. Now, Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said that our corrupted bodies, which is the, the sinful tainted bodies that we have here on earth, those bodies will be raised up incorruptible. They're going to change, have a changed nature. They're going to be raised up different. Now, there's a reason why I brought this up. We saw how Solomon was given authority by his father to execute judgment on people according to what they had done. We saw that. You got Shemai, you got these edgy guys over here, you got Joab, and you got Barzillai over here. Good guys, they're going to be judged differently according to what they had done from a son who received authority from his father. I want you to look at this. John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation. Friends, this is just like the difference in the two kinds of judgments, the two different kinds of judgments that have to be executed on Joab and Shemai versus what Barzillai is going to get. It's two different kinds. You got two guys, they did bad, they're gonna, they got trouble coming, but Barzillai has reward coming. It's all according to how you lived out what was really in you. You know, everybody claims to be good. Oh, I'm good. I'm a good guy. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good guy. But it's, it's what you do that proves what is really in you. What you do is going to show outwardly what kind of person you are inwardly. Every time I look at coffee and it's black, I know there's no cream in there. But if you put cream in there, it t- changes the color. The, the coffee becomes a different appearance. It, it's outwardly showing that something got put in there that changed it, okay? You can't live the same old, same old, say, I've got the Holy Spirit of God, I'm saved, I'm a good guy, when you're acting like the devil. It doesn't, act, it doesn't work like that. You're going to show outwardly who you really are by what you do. So the proper execution has to be ordered for each of these guys. That David knew who these men were. He knew who they were inwardly. He knew Joab was a scoundrel inwardly. He knew Shemai was a bad guy inwardly, but he also knew Barzillai was a good guy inwardly because of what they did. David knew how they were, and so he ordered the proper execution of judgment for each of them. So it says that David was buried in the city of David, which is in Jerusalem. I've been there. There's a wonderful statue of David in the middle, but it says David reigned 40 years over Israel. He reigned from about 1011 to 971 BC. And that's a really long time, 40 years to reign over Israel, especially with all the trouble he had going on. To reign that long, that means he had God's blessing to be able to rule that long because there are other kings listed in the Bible. They didn't take on near the trouble that David had to put up with.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life.